www.thepeopleshow.com. It is Friday, the 25th of August, the Feast of King St. Louis IX. Let's pray together in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. O Lord, listen to our prayer. For those who feel hopelessly trapped by the habits of sin, grant them forgiveness and peace. For those who fear your anger, show them also your love. For those who delay examining their decisions and habits, let them see how quickly life passes. Gracious and merciful God, you heard the groans of a world that labors under the weight of sin, and you sent your only Son to lift its burden from humanity's shoulders by taking it upon his own. Hear the prayers of sinners and the victims of sin, and deliver us by the power of his cross. We ask this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God forever and ever. Amen. St. Louis, pray for us. You know, in Cardinals country, they pronounce the S. So in case you're listening in Covenant Radio in that world this morning, happy feast day to you. It is the Sunrise Morning Show. I'm Matt Swain. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Lockman at the controls. And up this hour, we have much of which to speak. We'll talk more about St. Louis the Ninth with Amy Giuliano. Uh, Father Damien Ferentz has a new book on Flannery O'Connor that we'll get into. Andrew Swafford is one of the team contributing to Ascension Press's Catholic Guide to the Old Testament. Today we're in the book of Ruth, uh, going to give you a little picture of what's going on in that book of the Old Testament. And then we'll look ahead to the Sunday Mass readings with Father Hezekiah Carnazzo from the Institute of Catholic Culture. So, stay with us if you can. Right now it is two minutes past. Here's Anna Mitchell with news. Good morning. Former President Donald Trump surrendered to authorities in Georgia yesterday after being indicted for alleged efforts to overturn the 2020 presidential election. Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis is seeking to hold arraignments for all the defendants in the case the week following Labor Day. Cameras will be allowed in the courtroom for the arraignments. Meanwhile, Donald Trump has become the first former U.S. president with a mugshot. Mark Mayfield has more. It was taken Thursday night during the booking process at Atlanta's Fulton County Jail and later released. Trump was charged for his alleged efforts to overturn the state's 2020 election. He was released on a $200,000 bond. The Trump campaign is now selling t-shirts with a mugshot on it for $47 with the words never surrender underneath. This was the fourth criminal case brought against the ex-president this year. I'm Mark Mayfield. Nicaraguan dictator Daniel Ortega's crackdown on the Catholic Church continues. Vatican News reports he has now declared the Jesuit religious order illegal and has ordered all their assets confiscated. This coming in the wake of the closure of a Jesuit-run university last week and the expulsion of the Jesuits from a nearby residence earlier this week. The Central American Jesuit province condemned the declaration and called on the Ortega regime to immediately end its systematic repression of the church. The Maui government is suing a utility company for allegedly sparking the deadly Lahaina wildfire. 
A lawsuit filed yesterday claims Hawaiian Electric Company, quote, inexcusably kept their power lines energized earlier this month despite wind and fire warnings from forecasters. The National Weather Service said strong winds could knock down power lines and spark fires that would spread quickly due to dry conditions. An attorney representing Maui County said the lawsuit seeks damages that could total tens or hundreds of millions of dollars. At least 115 people were confirmed to be killed in the fires. The United States Conference of Catholic Bishops has issued an amicus brief to the Supreme Court arguing for upholding a federal law preventing people under domestic restraining orders from carrying firearms. From Vatican Radio, Eduardo Garibaldi reports. The basic principles of social order reflected in various ways in this nation's historic legal traditions and in Catholic social teaching include the government's role in promoting the common good by protecting human life and dignity. The U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops thus opened an amicus brief related to a pending Supreme Court case arguing in favor of ratifying a federal law allowing gun bans in domestic violence cases. The document referred to the case of Zaki Rahimi, a Texas man who received a restraining order following a series of violence perpetrated to his girlfriend. While the document recognized the autonomy of the family and other institutions of civil society, it also acknowledged that that same autonomy is not unlimited, calling therefore for law interventions. In fact, the right to keep and bear arms can thus be limited in situations where possession of arms is unusually likely to arm innocent victims instead of helping. The document brought up historical examples demonstrating how individuals could be disarmed when considered dangerous for others, challenging the distinction that was made between protecting society as a whole and protecting individuals. The genuine protection of political and social order is not truly a separate aim from protecting the vulnerable individuals whose moral claim on society is most pressing. Bishops claim. I am Eduardo Giribaldi. Bags of frozen vegetables that were sold nationwide are being recalled because they might be contaminated with listeria. The bags of frozen mixed vegetables and sweet corn were sold at close to 4,000 Kroger and Food Lion grocery stores and supermarkets. And Lego is now selling Braille versions of the toy bricks. The toy maker said the release of the Braille bricks, quote, marks a significant milestone in the development of more inclusive learning through play experiences. The Lego Braille bricks will feature both Braille and printed letters, numbers, and symbols on each of the bricks. English and French versions are now available for pre-order on Lego's website. That seems pretty cool to me. So, frankly, I'm a little surprised that this This, is only happening just now. Just now? Yeah, really. I mean, they're the Because Lego's whole identity is raised bumps. Yeah, exactly. On stuff. Wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah. You know, and it strikes me that you could probably, if you wanted to, if you're like me and you got a tub of extra Legos somewhere, you could probably make, like, Braille messages now. Hmm. If you, you know, kind of, well, it would like have a base would... plate and some like single sprocket bricks. Oh, oh, okay. And you could single. like make like messages, sure, in Braille now. I wonder if they does Braille have to be a certain like 
height. You know what I mean? Like, is there a certain like font size, so to speak, that Braille is so that you can actually run your fingers over it? I'm sure that there's some standardization for that. Yeah. So I'm not sure that you could do that with Legos. Not well, to yeah, I mean, rain on your parade here, Matt. Yeah, but it would be Braille adjacent. Braille like. Braille like. There you go. I don't know. Get out the Legos and try it out. Yeah, just yeah. See what you got. Indeed. Well, today is Friday. August the 25th. We are happy to have you along with us here on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's eight past. Happy to welcome back to the Sunrise Morning Show, Amy Giuliano. She's a digital media specialist for the Institute of Catholic Culture. She has degrees in theology from the Angelicum in Rome and art history from Yale and regularly contributes sacred art essays to the Magnificat. She's founder of Vadis VR, which provides virtual tours of sacred sites. Amy, welcome back to the show. Thanks so much, Annie. It's good to have you. So August 25th is the feast of King St. Louis IX, and there is so much to be said about his life and his reign as king. Uh, the one that I want to talk about with you is a church that folks can visit today in Paris, Sainte-Chapelle. Why mm-hmm. did St. Louis IX want to build this church? So St. Louis IX, he was a deeply devout king of France, and he actually acquired the relics of Christ's crown of thorns from his cousin, uh, the Latin emperor of Constantinople, Baldwin II. And so he commissioned the the building of the Sainte-Chapelle, functioning as a, a reliquary, a really beautifully ornate reliquary for such a precious artifact. So veneration of the crown of Christ was kind of the French king's way of showing allegiance to the king of kings. And we know that during the fire in Notre Dame in 2019, the crown um, was saved from Notre Dame. So it was housed in Saint-Chapelle for many years, up until the, the French Revolution, and very wisely was hidden at that time, later put on display in Notre Dame, and then it did survive the fire. Wow. Now, for those who have not looked at a picture of Saint-Chapelle, how was a church like that built in the 13th century? Sure. (laughs) It's quite impressive. So I do teach art history, and I try to tell my students the two things you need to remember about the Gothic period and Gothic art and architecture. You're going to think of height and light. How did they achieve these soaring high buildings and the beautiful light that floods into them? Well, before the uh, before and during really the 11th century, churches were built in the style called Romanesque, and it's kind of characterized by the use of heavy stone columns, rounded arches, barrel vaults, um, and these rounded arches. They were kind of necessary to support the immense weight of these structures. The structures feel very grounded. So the period that followed the Romanesque uh, was the Gothic, and we see. In the emergence of the Gothic style, uh, there are some new and more advanced techniques and innovations that were also emerging. Uh, They came together for the first time in France, especially with Abbot Suger of uh, Saint-Denis. If you go, it's still in Paris. It's the burial place of the French kings. Beautiful church. And he kind of introduces this new Gothic style. And one of the great innovations and kind of the key innovation of the Gothic style that 
allowed a church like that to be built about 100 years later was the development of the, the pointed arch. So oh. because of the pointed arch, Gothic churches were able to have much larger windows than had previously been possible. So how do you get light into these churches? That was a real interest. To get light in, you build high walls for like, like a really vast open space within. You're going to build strong interlocking ribbed vaults with pointed arches above. And again, that, that's going to direct the weight down without relying so much on the walls for support. And you're going to brace those walls from without, not from within. So you're going to think of like the, the flying buttresses outside mm-hmm. of the structure to push up on those walls to, to reinforce them. And then when you don't have those weighty, thick walls, uh, you're not relying on them, uh, you can replace them with glass. You get these tall, airy windows. So that's how they did it. These amazing architectural innovations allowed them to. Wow. Real pure use of faith and reason, I think, when, yeah. uh, or faith and science, I guess you could say. That's that's so incredible. So when you look at Saint-Chapelle, the first thing you have to think of are all of those stained glass windows. What all is pictured mm-hmm. in them? Sure. They're presenting the scenes of Christian history in chronological order uh, from the book of Genesis and through the Old Testament, through the New Testament, and they even include scenes of uh, Louis IX processing with the crown of thorns, his acquisition of the relics, and then his procession to Saint-Chapelle with the relics. So they kind of go from Genesis all the way through history up until that point. And then the rose window on the western end uh, features scenes from the end of time. The Sistine Chapel, I'd say, is, is the best comparison where we see all of salvation history kind of arcing above us and culminating in the last judgment on the Western Wall. Uh, that's what we're seeing at St. Chapelle. Amy, what is it like to step into this church? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so when you enter the main chapel, you're in a room where the walls are made almost entirely of glass. So it feels kind of otherworldly as this natural daylight is shining through uh, the windows and bathing the entire church in kind of like a pinkish, purplish glow, kind of bluish sometimes. It depends on the light. That's what's so interesting. Um, It's like walking through a kaleidoscope, a prism, because the light is, is kind of changing as the sun is arcing across the sky. The clouds are rolling in and out. It's a very dynamic experience. The architects are, they engaged with the natural phenomenon of light to uh, bring the space to life through this interaction of light with colored glass. So the walls uh, there, let's see, I can remember all my numbers. There's over 7,200 square feet of glass. Um, that's not even wow. counting the rose window at the end. Oh, my yeah. gosh. I know. And then they're divided into these 15 stained glass bays. So 15 big bays of stained glass. Each are about 50 feet high. And throughout the space, you have over 1,100 stained glass panels within the windows. I'm depicting these different scenes, again, that I said from from Genesis onwards. And I think what's interesting about that, especially for us, us as Catholics, is to think about the metaphysics of light, the theology behind the kind of the why. Why are they doing this? We, we talked about the innovations and how they were able to do it, but why did they want to make a space that's so filled with light? And we think about 1 John 1, 5, God is light. In his light, we see light. That's from uh, Psalm 36. 
the light shines in the darkness, the darkness has not overcome it. Of course, that's John's prologue. We know that God dwells in unapproachable light. That's from the scriptures. And created light is a really powerful metaphor for the uncreated light of God. So the architects, they were aiming to flood this interior with light, both clear and colored, and fill the interior with, um, if you go in, you see gold, jewels, polychrome, they mean painted statues, accents of gold leaf. So everything inside is going to also be reflecting this light. So we have the verticality of the structure that's that's raising the, the mind and heart to, to soar to the heights, to seek the things that are above. Uh, you have the beauty of this space. It's directing our gaze to beauty himself and, and the light that's pouring in. It's transporting us from material things to immaterial things. Um, I like to note that Aquinas, he has a few uh, different adjectives to describe something that's considered beautiful. Um, and one of the things that it must have, he says, is claritas, clarity, radiance, luminosity. And that's key here at Saint Chapelle. No doubt. Thank you so much, Amy Giuliano. If you'd like to go check out her work, go to vadisvr.com. 17 past now on the Sunrise Morning Show. We're back with headlines right after this. The first annual Dominican Rosary Pilgrimage, sponsored by the Dominican Friars Foundation, will take place on Saturday, September 30th at the Basilica of the Immaculate Conception in Washington, D.C. This all-day event will feature conferences by Father Gregory Pine, resuscitation of the rosary, a fervorino by Father Lawrence Liu, and mass with Father James Brent as homilist. Join us for this day of prayer to Our Lady. For more information, visit rosarypilgrimage.org. That's rosarypilgrimage.org. Support for the Sunrise Morning Show is from Visiting Angels. Visiting Angels provides experienced, compassionate care to millions of aging adults nationwide by keeping them safe and healthy in the comfort of their own home. Whether it's a short break for caregivers or for long-term assistance, Visiting Angels provides hygiene, meals, light housework, companionship, and more. And services are available up to 24 hours per day. Visiting Angels, online at visitingangels.com. That's visitingangels.com. Franchise opportunities available. Waking up with Mystic Monk Coffee is definitely a better way to start your day. Not only are you getting a great cup of coffee, but your purchase helps support the life of the Carmelite Monks of Wyoming. And your purchase can also help our work. All you need to do is go first to sonricemorningshow.com. When you click the Mystic Monk link on the side of the page, we earn a commission. Support the monks and support the Sunrise Morning Show. Click the Mystic Monk link at sunrisemorningshow.com. That's sonricemorningshow.com. EWTN podcasts are the perfect companion for busy Catholics everywhere. Your favorite EWTN programs are waiting for you to listen to on your time. With on-demand access to audio, you can pause and pick up right where you left off anytime, anywhere. Just subscribe by using your mobile device's free podcast app. Find old favorites or discover something new. EWTN podcasts, they're waiting for you. 19 minutes past the hour. Here's Anna with headlines. Donald Trump surrendered to authorities in Georgia yesterday after being indicted for alleged efforts to overturn the 2020 presidential election in Georgia. 
The United States Conference of Catholic Bishops has issued an amicus brief to the Supreme Court arguing to uphold a federal law preventing people under domestic restraining orders from carrying firearms. And Nicaraguan dictator Daniel Ortega's crackdown on the Catholic Church continues as he has now declared the Jesuits illegal. News at the top and bottom of each hour every weekday morning here on the Sunrise Morning Show. You know, Anna Mitchell, I... I put it on Twitter yesterday, and I was just thinking about this. You know, these oppressive, small-minded tyrants, mm-hmm. they always act like they're the first people to ever throw Jesuits out of a country. <laughs> we did it. The Catholic Church did it at one time. That's true. The Pope. Mexico. Mm-hmm. I mean, a bunch of these people, they've... Uh, guess who's, who's not still around? Those oppressive and small-minded dictators and tyrants. Yep. You know who's still around? The Jesuits. The Society of Jesus. Mm-hmm. But in seriousness, pray for the, the people of Nicaragua. I mean, they're... What an awful situation to be yeah. in. Um, there are saints who are doing incredible things that nobody sees right now. In- With Mystic Monk Coffee is definitely a better way to start your day. Not only are you getting a great cup of coffee, but your purchase helps support the life of the Carmelite monks of Wyoming. And your purchase can also help our work. All you need to do is go first to sonricemorningshow.com. When you click the Mystic Monk link on the side of the page, we earn a commission. Support the monks and support the Sunrise Morning Show. Click the Mystic Monk link at sunrisemorningshow.com. That's sonricemorningshow.com. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. This is Father Rob Jack with the Sacred Heartbeat. One of the titles given to the Sacred Heart of Jesus is Burning Furnace of Charity. Who can purify the human heart? Who can change our selfish love into a selfless love? The answer to both these questions is Jesus Christ. Christ's love for all people is intense and passionate. He desires to purify our hearts of all those things that prevent us from truly receiving God's grace. The mystics have described the heart of Jesus as a burning furnace which destroys sin. God puts nothing in the path of his love for us, but we put many things in the way of our love for God. By giving our hearts and souls and minds and bodies over to the Lord, we're asking him to remake us over into his image, not ours. Let us not be afraid to enter into the furnace of God's love. It's the only way that we will ever know Christ better. Heart of Jesus, burning furnace of charity, pray for us. The Sunrise Morning Show continues. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Father Damian Ferrance, who's got a new book called Understanding the Hillbilly Thomist, The Philosophical Foundations of Flannery O'Connor's Narrative Art. Father, good morning. Good morning, Matt. Thanks for having me on your show. All right, so there are a lot of people who know who the Hillbilly Thomists are because of, you know, Dominicans and banjos. Uh, Some of them might even know the origins of that band name in the uh, remarks of Flannery O'Connor. But what does it mean for her to refer to herself as a hillbilly Thomist, and how did the question even come up? Yeah, I think 
for her, it might have been a throwaway line. She was getting ready to go on um, a TV show, and she had been accused after someone reviewed her fiction of being a hillbilly nihilist. And she was she took no offense to the word hillbilly, but she was certainly not a nihilist, and she said she'd prefer to be known as a hillbilly Thomist. So she says that that one time in her letters, and it it, it became a thing, and a band was named after her, and. Uh, now I wrote a book trying to help people understand her, her work, her fiction, her narrative art. Well, obviously people didn't understand it. You know, if this were uh, 2023 and she was coming out, she might have had a blog and some uh, you know, tweets out there and uh, maybe done a few appearances and then gotten around to write a novel. And everybody would be like, oh, this is the novel by the person who thinks all of these things that we know what they think from all their previous media impressions, right? Uh, people didn't really have that opportunity with Flannery O'Connor. She just kind of dropped some of this stuff out there. And, and a lot of people who were her, their first introduction to her was not like, here's a Catholic author doing a philosophical uh, exploration on, you know, a, a fictional canvas. They just saw the stories, man. <laughs> this was kind of a shock to a lot of people. It's right. And even her close Catholic friends didn't, for the most part, understand what she was doing and didn't understand her work. Uh, she befriended a group of uh, Hawthorne Dominican nuns down in Atlanta, and they they liked her an awful lot, and they knew she was a good writer, but they had a hard time even at first understanding how it was that what she was trying to do in her fiction and and what her project was all about, which is uh, the reason I wrote the book, to help people. Because I, I run into a lot of folks who say, you know, I, I know Flannery O'Connor was a faithful Catholic. I know she went to Mass every day, and I know people say she's good, but I really don't understand why she's good. And so hopefully my book can help people figure that one out. Well, I identified with Flannery O'Connor immediately when I met her as a young evangelical Protestant in the South because I was like, hey, this lady's writing about my people. So That's it. uh... it's exactly it. She's writing about your people. Wow. Yeah, and and also that she was uh, writing about them in a way that was well, it's it's hard to explain in a way that was you know pointed out the 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 wildness of you know some of the the lines of of sola scriptura as it manifests in local communities with big personalities uh, and uh, no magisterium. And there are some elites who could have written about it, and I would have shut them out immediately. <laughs> but Flannery O'Connor, I did not. I mean, I felt like she was writing them with, in almost sort of like a loving way, uh, even when she was writing about people who were insane and wild. And I think that there's something to that, uh, something uh, Thomistic about writing, I mean, letting your enemies kind of speak their full argument uh, out of respect, in some ways, is a very Thomistic principle. That's That's true. And she she is a comic genius as well. And so when you read her stuff, you know you're getting it when you're laughing along the way or smiling and saying, "Oh man, this is this is great." And it's a challenge. It should be a challenge to all readers, Catholic ones included, because even though most of her characters are Protestant, we can see ourselves in in them with our with our pride and swelled up egos at times, thinking we know everything or thinking we know exactly how God is. Is, it, is at work, and she's trying to take us deeper into the mystery and get us, even sometimes through the grotesque, through violence and some suffering, uh, to a deeper place in relationship with God and obviously his church, too. Well, some people might say, you know, I don't know that grotesque and suffering and scandal and violence and, you know, morality tales that don't necessarily spell it out for you what the moral of the story is are the best way uh, for us to think about 
the faith. And to those people, I wanted to be like, have you ever read like the book of Judges? Uh, have you ever read like the, the, the entire Old Testament? I mean, in some ways, um, this is a very ancient way of trying to f- wrap your mind around the human condition. That's it. Yeah. So to the, how did she say it? To the, to the almost, uh, to the heart of hearing you shout, to the almost blind, you draw large startling figures. And keep in mind that when Flannery was 25, she was diagnosed with lupus, which was the same disease that took her father's life. So the last 14 years of her life, she lived on a farm with her mother, and she went through a intense suffering herself. And she knew that it was through the cross that she's going to experience the resurrection. And she knew that her death was coming, but she also was convinced that death was not the final say. Um, so, yeah, she's giving us a, 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 a robust view uh, a classic view, a true view of reality. And it can be shocking to the modern and the postmodern reader, for sure. Well, reality is shocking to most of us anyway, even if we're not reading yeah. about this stuff. So, I mean, that's that's kind of the, the mirror that she puts up in front of us, and I'm grateful for her for doing that. Uh, but the book is called Understanding the Hillbilly Thomas, The Philosophical Foundations of Flannery O'Connor's Narrative Art. It's by Father Damien Ference, and it's uh, available through Word on Fire, and there's a link to it at sunrisemorningshow.com. Father, thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. Thank you, Matt. All right, and again, we'd love to hear from you, uh, especially those of you who are heading to EWTN this weekend. If you're going to be in Birmingham for the EWTN family celebration at the Jefferson Convention Complex in Birmingham, celebrating uh, the 100th birthday year of Mother Angelica, Take pictures, shoot us a few, Uh, tell everybody that the Sunrise Morning Show specifically sent you to say hello to people, so when you see Father Wade or Jim or Joy, or Father Joseph Mary, he's our bud up here, we like him a lot, we like him all down there. You go tell them that Matt and Anna and Paul said hello, and we're sorry we couldn't make it, and uh, yeah, send us the pictures, post them to us over at sunrisemorningshow.com. It is half past the hour. Here's Anna with news. Good morning. Donald Trump surrendered to authorities in Georgia yesterday after being indicted for alleged efforts to overturn the 2020 presidential election in the state. The former president had his mugshot taken upon arrival at the Fulton County Jail and was released on a $200,000 bond. Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis is seeking to hold arraignments for all the defendants in the case the week following Labor Day. Cameras will be allowed in the courtroom for the arraignments. Nicaraguan dictator Daniel Ortega's crackdown on the Catholic Church continues as he has now declared the Jesuit religious order illegal. From Vatican Radio, James Blears reports. The government say they've banned the Jesuits and taken their worldly possessions, claiming they somehow flouted tax laws. The Jesuits responded by saying, this violates human rights and it appears to be aimed at consolidating a totalitarian state. It comes a week after the administration of President Daniel Ortega expropriated the Jesuit-run Central American University and have renamed it Casimiro Sotelo Montenegro National University after a Sandinista leader killed in 1967, a fellow student and contemporary of Daniel Ortega. This action was justified by authorities who claim the university is a centre for terrorism. Then, a house by the university was seized and six Jesuits were thrown onto the street. 
the Central American Society of Jesus said, we strongly condemn this act of violence against our community and we reaffirm our confidence that the Lord of history will continue to protect the Jesuits of Nicaragua during these difficult times. In February, there was a release of prisoners, including seven would-be presidential candidates who were bundled onto a one-way flight out of Nicaragua and to the United States. In April, the Vatican Embassy was closed. A month later, the Red Cross was banned, accused of attacking peace and stability. Vatican Radio, James Blair's reporting. A federal court judge has dismissed a challenge to a West Virginia law restricting the abortion pill. Drugmaker GenBioPro filed suit back in January against West Virginia's restrictions on the abortion drug Mifepristone. West Virginia, the the company that makes a generic version of the medication and argued that West Virginia's ban and other restrictions have caused it, quote, significant ongoing economic injury, end quote. U.S. District Judge Robert Chalmers dismissed Gen BioPro's claims that federal law preempts the West Virginia law. The Maui government is suing a utility company for allegedly sparking the deadly Lahaina wildfire. A lawsuit filed yesterday claims Hawaiian Electric Company inexcusably kept their power lines energized earlier this month despite wind and fire warnings from forecasters. The National Weather Service had said strong winds could knock down power lines and spark fires that would spread quickly due to dry conditions. An attorney representing Maui County said the lawsuit seeks damages that could total tens or hundreds of millions of dollars. At least 115 people were killed in the fires. Nearly 700,000 homes and businesses in Michigan and Ohio are without power after severe thunderstorms slammed the region with heavy rains, powerful winds, and at least one tornado. The storms charged across southern Michigan into Ohio after midnight, packing wind gusts up to 85 miles an hour, and hail as big as an inch and a half. The National Weather Service said a large and extremely dangerous tornado was confirmed last night near Williamston, Michigan, just east of Lansing. Mortgage rates are at a 22-year high. Mark Mayfield has more. Rates soared to 7.3% this week. A year ago, the 30-year fixed rate in the U.S. was just over 5.5%. That's according to data from Freddie Mac. They've been above 6.5 all summer and have been creeping up since mid-July. I'm Mark Mayfield. T-Mobile is laying off close to 5,000 employees by the end of September. The company's president and CEO said in an email to its workers, disclosed in an SEC filing that the layoffs will mostly affect corporate and tech roles rather than retail and other customer-facing roles. That's the news on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's 35 past the hour. The it's back to school time and back to a busier morning routine. If you're going to need some help to get going, get yourself a few bags of Mystic Monk coffee. And when you go to the Mystic Monk site through the link you find at sunrisemorningshow.com, you'll give us a boost with a commission on your purchase. While you're at our site, pick up a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug and perhaps a water bottle for your student. All available in our online store. 
Find our store and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. This is Every Day with St. Francis de Sales. One of the greatest proofs of love that Jesus displayed on the cross was putting up with the imperfections of his neighbor. He even showed his love for those who put him to death. In those dire moments, the Savior expressed thoughts of love even for his executioners, pardoning them in the very act of sinning. How petty-minded we are, when we cannot bring ourselves to forget some injury received, even after a long time. Whoever sincerely pardons another, calls down abundant blessings, and perfectly imitates Christ. The lives of the saints are nothing but the gospel put into practice. For Sacred Heart Radio, this is Father Chris Armstrong. It's 37 minutes past the hour. You're listening to the Sunrise Morning Show on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. The Sunrise Morning Show continues, and it's time for our weekly Old Testament Bible study using a Catholic guide to the Old Testament from Ascension Press. You can get your own copy at ascensionpress.com slash Old Testament. And we're back with Dr. Andrew Swafford, who is a co-author of this guide. Good morning, Andrew. Good morning. Great to be with you. It is great to have you. And today we are unpacking the book of Ruth, which comes right after the book of Judges, and really kind of a breath of fresh air in the wake of Judges. So who is Ruth, and who are the other major characters that we meet along with her? Yeah, so Ruth, uh, Naomi, her mother-in-law, we meet Boaz is a major character, and, and early on what we have is and Ruth is a Moabite, right? Ruth is a Gentile. She's not an Israelite, and that's, that's key to the story. Uh, but basically, uh, Naomi's husband dies, and Ruth's husband dies, um, and, and there's um, sisters-in-law that their husbands die. So you have these widows, and Naomi's going to go back to her own, her own people, um, and Ruth insists on going with Naomi. And Ruth says very powerfully, like, your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Ruth embraces, as a Moabite, embraces the God of Israel. Uh, and through a, you know, it's, it takes place during the time of the judges, which is, I mean, so interesting. I, I think back to like Elijah when the Lord is like, I've preserved a remnant. I know that you, you see all this craziness and all this idolatry, but I have preserved a remnant. And I think it's, it gets so easy today to be like, gosh, everything is just going to hell in a handbasket. And, and to realize God, this is God's story. It's God's church. It's God's people. Um, that, there might, there's more going on beneath the surface. And, and as you know, I mean, you, you, there's good people uh, everywhere if you look for them. Um, and so Ruth, you know, sort of this bright spot in the midst of this very, you know, dark and depressing time period of the judges period of, of faithfulness uh, in, in kind of unlikely places. 
Well, yeah, absolutely. Can you just tell us? I mean, the fact that Ruth was a Moabite married to a child of Israel is is kind of indicative of, I mean, obviously it turns out for the the greater good in, in this particular story. But, I mean, if you're just looking at it on the surface level, the fact that a son of Israel is married to a Moabite is kind of a problem, isn't it? Well, I mean, then there's, you know, you look at Solomon with his 700 wives and through the concubines, and, <laughs> yeah. and these, these, again, these foreign wives, he builds temples for all their, all their gods and things like that. So often in Scripture is kind of a means of luring people away from, from faithfulness. So you're right. Um, and then, you know, and then Ruth, by the end of the story, becomes the great-grandmother of King David, right? Yeah. So and she shows up in Matthew's genealogy. I mean, this is um, so really providential stuff that you wouldn't have seen if you were there at first glance. Yeah. So, well, you've just kind of mentioned it, but but take us a little deeper into why this story is so important for us in understanding salvation history. Yeah, so so as Ruth goes back to uh, to Bethlehem with Naomi and, and really kind of cares for her in, in an endearing way, and is described with such you know kind of faithfulness, you know, from um, few kind of just kind of different encounters that she ends up gleaning from Boaz's fields, and it just so happens that Boaz becomes, well, Boaz is, a, a, is related uh, to, to the family, and, and basically you've got some laws in the background uh, that you see in, like, Deuteronomy 25, where it's it, it basically like if your brother's wife um, becomes a widow, but you would marry, you, you, you would marry uh, her um, and raise up offspring for your brother to preserve your brother's name. And, but, but what we have here is there's no brother, and so there's like an extended application of the law, and uh, this leads to a, a potential marriage between Boaz and Ruth. Um, and that's really what is part of what forges the dynastic line that will eventually produce King David. And one fascinating thing, in Ruth 3.11, Ruth is described as an Ashef Chayil in Hebrew, a, 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 a valiant woman, uh, which is a phrase that only occurs three times in the Bible. And most famously, Proverbs 31.10, the mm. godly wife is known as an Ashef Chayil. And, and really intriguingly, in, in the Hebrew canon, so in the, Jew, the, the, ordering of the, uh, the, the ordering of the books of the Bible in, in, in Jewish tradition, Ruth follows Proverbs. Yeah. Uh, so, so it's almost like she's considered as an embodiment of this godly wife, this Asha Chayil. And, and for this and other reasons, Ruth becomes kind of indirectly a, a figure of the Church, a figure of, of Mary. Um, you, you know, and, and not, it doesn't line up perfectly, but in terms of this uh, faithfulness and this Asha Chayil, this wise and virtuous woman who plays this critical role in salvation history. Well, you know what I find really interesting here, Andrew, as I was listening to you, you were talking about the the laws about, you know, a brother and a brother who dies, the wife and, you know, all that stuff. And and the fact that Ruth and Boaz meet because Boaz was being faithful to the law and that he was allowing the edges of his field to be gleaned yep. by those who needed it. I mean, this is really an embodiment. We see what happens when, or, or the, you see the, the the true purpose of the law, which when you're faithful to the law as God set it out, look at what can happen. You become the grandmother of David. I mean, it, it's really incredible. Oh, no, and this is actually so important, especially in our American context, because sometimes, you know, we value freedom 
so much, which is great. It's, it's the, I mean, it, it's, it, it's essential. Uh, but sometimes we think of freedom as opposed to the law. And, and really, if you go deeper, the law empowers and enables true and authentic freedom. Freedom, Real freedom is not just do whatever I want. Real freedom is to pursue the good, and the law helps us, guides us. And you read Psalm, you know, one nineteen, for example. I mean, um, this this love of the law, because the law is wisdom, and wisdom frees us to be truly happy and to not be a slave to our own passions. It allows us to walk in the ways of the Lord, and who's Amen. more free than the Lord? <laughs> Amen. He is Amen. freedom itself, really. We've been talking to Dr. Andrew Swafford, and you can pick up a copy of A Catholic Guide to the Old Testament from Ascension Press at their site, ascensionpress.com slash Old Testament, which is also where you can download the Ascension Press app, which has, uh, I mean, it's just an incredible app. Go check it out over at the Ascension Press site. And Andrew, really appreciate your time this morning unpacking the Book of Ruth. Thank you. Oh, always a blessing. Thank you. You bet. Matt, I know you love the Book of Ruth. I do. I like them all, Anna Mitchell. Well, I mean, You know, first reading from Mass today is the beginning of the Book of Ruth. So, uh, your timing is impeccable with with, uh, Andrew Swan. Imagine that. Imagine how it all just lines up. There are people who are going to be like, oh, that's pretty fascinating. And then they're going to walk into Mass, and they hadn't looked at the readings yet. Mm-hmm. And they're going to be like, hey, I know some of this stuff. Mm-hmm. So there you go. I mean, never I just— say we, Never say we didn't try and line things up for you. I, I just love the—I love that we get this line in the reading today. But Ruth said to Naomi, do not ask me to abandon or forsake you, for wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. I mean, Matt, one of the original converts. Yeah, in a you way, could say that. Yeah, and in the line of Jesus. So, we talk about you know this being a story of the line of David, but don't forget that the line of David is the line of Jesus. Is the line of Jesus, as. Uh, as Luke and Matthew are keen to point out. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk more about the Sunday Mass readings with Father Hezekiah Carnazzo coming up after the break. It's a quarter till. Are you looking for peace? Longing for joy? Want to meet the giver of all goodness? God is calling the laity to bring Ignatian prayer into a suffering world. Work for the new evangelization. Go to LordTeachMeToPray.com. Order your free digital training and manual. Find true happiness and everlasting joy. Go to LordTeachMeToPray.com and click on the red button today. It's free. Approved by the USCCB. For more than 150 years, the Comboni missionaries have traveled to nearly every corner of the world. Founded by St. Daniel Comboni, we are an international Catholic organization dedicated to ministering the world's poorest and most abandoned people. Your donations make a huge impact, and 95% are used to fund our many projects. Find out more at ComboniMissionaries.org. That is ComboniMissionaries.org. It's back to school time and back to a busier morning routine. 
If you're going to need some help to get going, get yourself a few bags of Mystic Monk coffee. And when you go to the Mystic Monk site through the link you find at sunrisemorningshow.com, you'll give us a boost with a commission on your purchase. While you're at our site, pick up a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug and perhaps a water bottle for your student. All available in our online store. Find our store and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. Teresa Tamio. Every time I go to Mass and see my husband serving on the altar as a deacon, it hits me how, with God, all things are possible. I mean, there is no way that we should be still married, number one, based on all the problems we had. But number two, the fact that I'm in Catholic media and my husband is a deacon is simply a testimony to the power of God and the teachings of the church that saved our marriage and, more importantly, our souls. Catholic Connection with Teresa Tamio. Monday through Friday at 9 a.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. If you could invite one saint to join you for dinner, who would it be? You can tell us your story today on Take Two with Jerry and Debbie on most of these EWTN stations. And now back to the Sunrise Morning Show. 12 Till, here's Anna with headlines. Donald Trump surrendered to authorities in Georgia yesterday after being indicted for alleged efforts to overturn the 2020 presidential election in the state. Nicaraguan dictator Daniel Ortega's crackdown on the Catholic Church continues. He's now declared the Jesuits illegal. And a federal judge has dismissed a challenge to a West Virginia law restricting the abortion pill. Next newscast coming up in about 14, maybe 15 minutes from now as the Sunrise Morning Show continues here on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Father Hezekiah Carnazzo from the Institute of Catholic Culture. Good morning, Father. Good morning, Annie. It's a blessing to be with you and your listeners today. It is a blessing to have you back. And we are looking ahead to the readings for Mass on Sunday, the 21st Sunday in Ordinary Time. And let's start by looking at the book of the prophet Isaiah, the first reading from chapter 22 and uh, we get the names of these two guys. There's Shebna and there's Eliakim. And, um, okay, so Shebna gets thrust out of his office by the Lord, and then they put Eliakim in his place. Um, what is going on in this story, Father? Why is this important? Well, it's all about context, Annie. If we read this chapter in the chapter before in its proper context, well, first of all, the, the big context, Isaiah— who's living during a time and prophesying during a time when a Babylonian exile is taking place or beginning to take place or about to take place, and things are not well, right, in Jerusalem. Not all is going well. And if we read the context, we find out that this guy, Shebna, who is, quote, over the house, uh, that that is a position of being, I don't know, Annie, what is it, like the prime minister or... Yeah, vice the vice president, whatever it is, they're given in the ancient world in in the the king's throne city, and well, in any major city, there was the the guy who held the keys. That is the key to the gate of the city. It's very important in the old in the old world because the cities were walled cities, and in order to get in and conquer the city, you had to get through the gate. And so, in in the morning and in the evening, that gate would be opened and then closed. Whoever held that key held the, the, the keys to the kingdom, right? Mm. He's the guy that was in charge of taking care to make sure 
that the that the kingdom was safe. And here we're presented in the book of Isaiah, the prophecy of Isaiah, with two guys. The first, Shebna, who in the context of this chapter we find out that while the city is going to is is coming under siege by the by the Babylonians, um, uh, he's telling people, hey. Eat, drink, and be merry. They're all hanging around. They're eating together. They say, oh, well, we're all going to die anyways. Enjoy yourself, right? Hmm. He's not doing his job, not only in the matter of opening and closing the gate, but protecting God's people. So God throws him out of, the, out of his office and says, I'm sorry. You're the one that's been given the keys to protect the people, and, you, and, and you're exposing them to a, 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 something worse than the Babylonians, that is, that is to, to sin and ultimately to giving themselves over to death, and uh, and he, and then and then of course we have the the, the second guy Eliakim who is put in his place in order to be the one to oversee God's people in place of the king because the king can't do everything right so he's got this thing that's that's the thing if we go back to Genesis chapter forty one you see something like this about Joseph right Joseph becomes the over the house if you will the key bearer the one who is second in command to Pharaoh. This was a, a position known in the ancient world and even among the, king, the kingdom of David. And so that sets us up nicely to look at Matthew chapter 16, which is our gospel. And uh, as we like to say, it's the Pope verse, right? When Peter is right. given the keys to the kingdom of heaven by Jesus. But why is Peter being given those keys? Yeah. Well, once we know, once we have Isaiah in place we, and we know of this, position, the albayit, the key bearer, the one who's over the house of the king, who is protecting the, 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 the kingdom, well, then it makes sense, right? Because in the Gospel of Matthew, we said over the last few weeks, Annie, that the Gospel of Matthew and, and really the Synoptic Gospels as a whole are all about one thing. They're all about revealing that Jesus is the fulfillment of the expectation of the Jews. He is the coming Messiah. The Messiah, the anointed one, is the king. He is the king, right? That's why in the Gospel of Matthew, over and over again, in all of the parables we've been looking at, Jesus is constantly hitting this over the head. The, key, the, king, the kingdom of heaven is like, the kingdom of heaven is like, the kingdom of heaven yes. is like, over and over and over and over again, because he's, he's trying to reveal who he is. This is why, in this passage, the most important thing is not what Jesus says to Peter. It's what Peter says to Jesus. Jesus asks the question, who do you say that I am? And then Peter confesses, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are the king, Peter says. And therefore, Jesus does what a king does. He establishes his kingdom. And in an establishment of his kingdom, he names Peter as the Albaite, the key bearer, the one who is entrusted to oversee the kingdom, the one who is entrusted to protect God's people from those that would invade the kingdom and try to destroy it from the inside. This is why the, the, the position of Peter is so important among the apostles. His job is to protect against heresy, not to invite it into the kingdom, to protect it. And if he doesn't, he's warned in the prophecy of Isaiah that we heard today that he will be eventually thrown out of his office. Well, Father, I think that that's a great point because um, of, of something else that, that Jesus says in this gospel, that the gates of hell are not going to prevail against this kingdom. That's right. The, the, the key here, again, is who Jesus is, 
and what his kingdom is, right? The, the kingdom that Jesus is establishing on earth is the kingdom of heaven. Well, let me tell you something about the kingdom of heaven. It is eternal, and the devil is going to have nothing, no power over it at the end of the day. But of course, of course, on earth, it is under siege. It is under attack because the evil one wants to destroy it. But, 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 but he will not be able to in the end, though men have been put in place to be able to oversee it on earth and struggle to do so, just like the prophecy of Isaiah. So the history of the church being ruled by men is a history, is oftentimes a sad history, because we fail, but the king himself will never fail. Ultimately, Jesus will be victorious, and his kingdom on earth, that is the Catholic Church, will remain forever. We've been talking to Father Hezekiah Carnazzo. And, Father, if listeners want to check out what's going on over at the Institute of Catholic Culture, and I know there's a lot going on next week, where can they get in touch? We're very excited. A number of really awesome programs coming up. Everything, of course, is free of charge at the Institute of Catholic Culture. Come check us out. Adult education in the faith, all for free. Instituteofcatholicculture.org. And you can find instituteofcatholicculture.org linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Dr. Peter Kraft on Monday on Blaise Pascal. Uh, Bishop Mikhail Moradian of the Armenian Catholic Eparchy of the United States on Friday on the Armenian genocide happening today. And by the way, Father Hezekiah is going to be on Father Mitch's show on Wednesday next week as well. So hope you can tune in for that on EWTN television. We got another hour of the Sunrise Morning Show coming up next for most of our affiliates here on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Friday the 25th of August. Let's begin this morning by praying the words of Psalm 146, which we'll hear at Mass today. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them. The Lord keeps faith forever, secures justice for the oppressed, gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets captives free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord raises up those who were bowed down. The Lord loves the just, the Lord protects strangers. The fatherless and the widow he sustains, but the way of the wicked he thwarts. The Lord shall reign forever, your God, O Zion, through all generations. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. And since it is his feast today, St. Louis the Ninth pray for us. It is the Sunrise Morning Show. Thanks for being with us on a Friday morning. I'm Matt Swaim. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Lockman at the controls. And up this hour, we'll get a bit of a scholarly look at Louis IX with Thomas Madden, uh, who happens to uh, be from the area in the middle of America named after St. Louis, St. Louis. 
uh, University. Dr. Matthew Petrusik is going to be along to talk about his new book, Evangelization and Ideology. Bobby Schindler will join us from the Terry Schiavo Life and Hope Network. We'll also look ahead to the Sunday Mass readings with Father Jonathan Duncan from the Diocese of Charleston. So lots to get to here on a Friday. Right now it is two minutes past. Here's Anna Mitchell with news, a service of Central Fabricators and centralfabricators.com. Good morning. Donald Trump surrendered to authorities in Georgia yesterday after being indicted for alleged efforts to overturn the 2020 presidential election in the state. The Fulton County District Attorney is seeking to hold arraignments for all of the defendants in this case the week following Labor Day. Cameras will be allowed in the courtroom for the arraignments. Meanwhile, Donald Trump has become the first former U.S. president now with a mugshot. Mark Mayfield has more. It was taken Thursday night during the booking process at Atlanta's Fulton County Jail and later released. Trump was charged for his alleged efforts to overturn the state's 2020 election. He was released on a $200,000 bond. The Trump campaign is now selling T-shirts with the mugshot on it for $47 with the words Never Surrender underneath. This was the fourth criminal case brought against the ex-president this year. I'm Mark Mayfield. Nicaraguan dictator Daniel Ortega's crackdown on the Catholic Church continues. Vatican News reports he has now declared the Jesuit religious order illegal and has ordered all their assets confiscated. This coming in the wake of the closure of a Jesuit-run university last week and the expulsion of Jesuits from a nearby residence earlier this week. The Central American Jesuit province condemned the declaration and called on the Ortega regime to immediately end its systematic repression of the church. The world's biggest tech companies have to follow a sweeping new European law that takes effect today. The European Union's Digital Services Act adds restrictions to everything from social media moderation to targeted advertising and counterfeit goods in e-commerce. It applies to companies including Amazon, Apple, Google, Meta, Microsoft, Snapchat, TikTok, and many others. The law is aimed at concerns that tech credits have raised in recent years, including the spread of misinformation and disinformation, potential harm to mental health, particularly for young people, a lack of transparency, and illegal or fake products on virtual marketplaces. The United States Conference of Catholic Bishops has issued an amicus brief to the Supreme Court arguing for upholding a federal law that prevents people under domestic restraining orders from carrying firearms. From Vatican Radio, Eduardo Garibaldi reports. The basic principles of social order reflected in various ways in this nation's historic legal traditions and in Catholic social teaching include the government's role in promoting the common good by protecting human life and dignity. The U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops thus opened an amicus brief related to a pending Supreme Court case arguing in favor of ratifying a federal law allowing gun bans in in domestic violence cases. The document referred to the case of Zaki Rahimi, a Texas man who received a restraining order following a series of violence perpetrated to his girlfriend. While the document recognized the autonomy of the family and other institutions of civil society, it also acknowledged that that same autonomy is not unlimited, calling therefore for law interventions. In fact, the right to keep and bear arms can thus be limited in situations where possession 
possession of arms is unusually likely to harm innocent victims instead of helping. The document brought up historical examples demonstrating how individuals could be disarmed when considered dangerous for others, challenging the distinction that was made between protecting society as a whole and protecting individuals. The genuine protection of political and social order is not truly a separate aim from protecting the vulnerable individuals whose moral claim on society is most pressing, bishops claimed. I am Eduardo Giribaldi. Bags of frozen vegetables that were sold nationwide are being recalled because they might be contaminated with listeria. The bags of frozen mixed vegetables and sweet corn were sold at close to 4,000 Kroger and Food Lion grocery stores and supermarkets. The FDA has posted a list of the affected lot numbers on its website. And the 2023 college football season gets underway this weekend. Headlining the Saturday kickoff is a showdown between 13th-ranked Notre Dame and Navy in Dublin, Ireland. The Fighting Irish and the Midshipmen are meeting for the third time in Ireland with the last game taking place in 2012. Also on the slate is a West Coast showdown between 6th-ranked USC and San Jose State. Reigning Heisman Trophy winner Caleb Williams will look to lead the Trojans back into the college, college football playoff contention after losing in the Cotton Bowl last year. So just two games this weekend. Only two. And then, Matt, your Tennessee Volunteers face off against Virginia next weekend on Saturday at noon. My Ohio State Buckeyes play Indiana on Saturday at 3.30. And Paul Lockman's Michigan Wolverines. Whoa. I just said that. I don't know that he really has a dog. Well, I think in that Paul fight. Lockman's UC Bearcats. <laughs> I know. I was going to say the UC Bearcats, but I don't think they play. I don't see them on the list here, Paul. Can you tell me in my ear? Do the Bearcats play this weekend? I think he's looking it up. He's, he's, he's going to look it up for me. I don't. Kind of snuck them. up on us. I don't see them on here in the list of games for. Well, it's tricky. Like I say, I'm still trying to follow baseball this time of year, and it's 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 a little disorienting because you know you and I are East Coast, well, not East Coast, Eastern Time Zone baseball fans, and uh, the team that we root for is currently playing in the Western Time Zones, and so mm-hmm. it's very disorienting. And I just want to, I don't know. It's 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 hard to follow baseball when it's like that. Maybe so this is maybe barely have the energy to, to even see what's happening with college football. Paul. Paul says that UC plays Pittsburgh on Saturday. Oh, UC Pitt. That'll be a good one. September 2nd. Yeah, Saturday, September 2nd, uh, not like tomorrow, Saturday. Yeah, Cincinnati versus Pittsburgh. That's always a a heated deal Mm -hmm. in any sport. Well, it is the Sunrise Morning Show. We're glad that you're with us on this Friday, the 25th of August. It's eight minutes past the hour. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Dr. Thomas Madden. He is professor of history and director of the Center for Medieval and Renaissance Studies at St. Louis University in St. Louis, Missouri. So if you're going to talk to somebody about St. Louis, I guess he's the guy. Dr. Madden, welcome back. Hey, thanks. Great to be with you. So I guess off the bat, uh, it's important for us to understand because that, that St. Louis the Ninth is not considered a saint in the Catholic Church because he was a flawless administrator, any more than St. Thomas Aquinas is considered a saint because he was particularly intelligent. But what would you say is the basic framework for understanding why the Church elevates 
this king on this day on the calendar? Um, he was uh, un- unusual for kings, both of France and, and elsewhere. Is that he was a very good and pious man. Um, he cared deeply, really, from his earliest days, um, which he learned with, from his mother, who was uh, Blanche of Castile, a very pious woman. Um, he learned to, to live a very pious life. He was very devoted to um, the, uh, the Blessed Sacrament. Um, he was an early and often supporter of the mendicant orders, uh, both the Franciscans and the Dominicans. Um, but also he cared, he cared deeply about his people, and that's something that was very unusual in the Middle Ages. Um, he cared about the proper administration of justice. Um, in fact, he would personally listen to uh, his people. Um, he would bring he brought the poor into the palace to have meals with him almost every dinner. Um, he had meals with the poor. Um, he would frequently go out and wash the feet of lepers. Um, so it's 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 the kind of person who, when you meet them, they're just very saintly. And even during his life, people knew um, that he would one day be a saint. Well, I'm trying to think of even a mayor at a yeah. medium-sized city in the United States doing that kind of thing, unless there were cameras around. And as soon as the cameras were done, he'd be done, right? Or she'd be done and off to her next or his next press conference. Um, to, to open up his own home like that, I mean, King Louis was not, he didn't have a photography staff, right? He wasn't worried about hanging out in the Paris Times on the front page above the fold the next day. This is a different kind of guy. No, absolutely. His, his audience was God. Um, he wanted to live a life, a holy uh, life, and to be the best uh, king that he could. Now, part of this was, um, behind all of this, was his enormous uh, concern for the Christians of the Holy Land, um, and um, and one of the, his earliest actions as king was to launch a crusade um, after a major massacre of Christians uh, in the Holy Land. Um, and so the, his crusading projects, he went on two crusades in his life and died on the second one. Um, that also was behind the things that he did, because he believed that, that God would give victory in, in the Holy Land to a king who, who truly deserved it. And so that, add, that added to his impetus to want to live um, a truly holy um, life. Well, it is a great mistake. Uh, to try and measure uh, what was going on in the time of King St. Louis by postmodern standards, uh, let alone modern standards, uh, you know, because there were a whole bunch of other things happening. Uh, there was, it's not like King St. Louis could read, you know, Sky News and turn on cable television and, you know, look stuff up on Wikipedia and know every aspect of every nuance of what was happening. What's a good way for us to understand the medieval mood during this crusading period? Um, well, I mean, I, I've written a book on uh, the—it's a short book uh, called the, the Concise History of the Crusades, and it's written really for almost anyone to, uh, to read. And that, tr- and that book tries to set um, the Crusades within their medieval framework. Um, they're not—most—I think most Catholics, when they think of the Crusades, they, they think of really a caricature of the Crusades in the modern era. Um, and if you actually look at the history of what the Crusades were— um, they look much better than, um, than I think we're usually led to believe. So um, I, would, I would suggest um, having a look at that. And of course, uh, with any kind of research into the Crusades, it doesn't take long to find the heroes and the villains you know, who, who embarked on such things, those who uh, you know, went for holy purposes and those who went for themselves. And you know, this, 
you know, history is full of that kind of thing in, in all kinds of situations. But in terms of what King St. Louis can teach us today, uh, what do you think, uh, as we remember him on this day, uh, and of course he's named, your city is named for him as well as your university, uh, what do you think he can teach us? Well, I think one of the things is humility, and that was the thing that he cared most about. Um, the things that he did were acts of humility, and they were things that, that uh, many people didn't know about. For example, he frequently would wear, as a medieval discipline, he would wear hair shirts underneath his rich satins, so that he would be uncomfortable under them to, to, as a penance for, for his sins. Um, it's very interesting, one of his coins that he minted after um, his first crusade, when he was when he was captured by the Muslims and imprisoned, um, really, it's a show of humility. Most kings would put, you know, their victories on their coins. He put a picture of a jail cell um, with the words "Etiam Regis," which means "even king," because he wanted his people to really see that, you know, humility was part of this life, and that, and that coming to Christ um, through that um, humility um, was the way forward. Well, thanks so much, Thomas Madden. You can find a link to him at sunrisemorningshow.com. We got traffic and weather. Oh, traffic and weather. We don't have traffic and weather. Can't get traffic for the whole United States of America. We got headlines with Anna Mitchell coming up right after this. It's a quarter past. For over 500 years, the church-honored spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius of Loyola have formed many saints. This treasured way of personal prayer with God is now available to you for free. Order your free training manual at lordteachmetopray.com and bring Ignatian prayer to others. Lord Teach Me to Pray is approved by the USCCB. Order your free training manual at lordteachmetopray.com. That's lordteachmetopray.com. Lord Teach Me to Pray underwrites the Sunrise Morning Show. The first annual Dominican Rosary Pilgrimage, sponsored by the Dominican Friars Foundation, will take place on Saturday, September 30th at the Basilica of the Immaculate Conception in Washington, D.C. This all-day event will feature conferences by Father Gregory Pine, resuscitation of the rosary, a fervorino by Father Lawrence Liu, and mass with Father James Brent as homilist. Join us for this day of prayer to Our Lady. For more information, visit rosarypilgrimage.org. That's rosarypilgrimage.org. The kids got new supplies for back to school, so what do the parents get? Well, we suggest treating yourself to some good coffee, and the Mystic Monks of Wyoming have a number of blends to choose from. And when you link to the Mystic Monk Coffee site through our site, sonrisemorningshow.com, we earn a commission on whatever you buy. You can also treat yourself to a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug and a water bottle for your kid in our online store. Check out our store and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sunrisemorningshow.com. EWTN, communicating the faith. And I wanted to tell you guys how great your show is because uh, I listen to you guys for every, every day for the last past five and a half months. It's because of you guys that I came to the Catholic faith. Now I'm going to church on Sunday for the first time because I just got out yesterday from jail. And I got my mom to go too. And my girlfriend is also going with me. Wow. She's willing to give the Catholic faith a try. EWTN, live truth, live Catholic. 17 minutes past the hour. Here's Anna with headlines. Donald Trump surrendered to authorities in Georgia yesterday after being indicted for alleged efforts to overturn the 2020 presidential election in the state. 
The United States Conference of Catholic Bishops has issued an amicus brief to the Supreme Court arguing for upholding federal law preventing those under domestic restraining orders from carrying firearms. And Nicaraguan dictator Daniel Ortega's crackdown on the Catholic Church continues. He's now declared the Jesuits illegal. News at the top and bottom of each hour every weekday morning here on the Sunrise Morning Show. Anna Mitchell, I just posted a video on our Facebook page. Uh, came out with a new one this morning at the Coming Home Network with Father Michael Rainier, who was uh, recently oh, on. I remember him. On the show. He has a book about um, poetry yeah. and the Mass. The uh, the Mass is like a, an exercise in liturgical poetry. Uh, but the video uh, has a provocative enough title. Uh, it's called From the Mega Church to the Mass. Uh, Father... Michael grew up in a Pentecostal, kind of like rock and roll, light show, 10 songs in a sermon kind of world. Neat. Okay. And he shares a little bit of his experience of um, discovering liturgical worship. First, as an Anglican. Uh, but he um, he says something in there that I thought was very kind of interesting. He said that he was a little bit confused by liturgy the first time he encountered it, but he was also kind of relieved about it because he was kind of a self-conscious person. Mm. And yeah. uh, being in the liturgy, it sort of, you know, was helpful in that respect. And you might say to yourself, what do you mean uh, the liturgy helps a person who might be self-conscious uh, be not as self-conscious? Well, I mean, aren't you doing a whole bunch of things and somebody might be watching you to see if you get it wrong? Well, first of all, almost nobody is ever watching <laughs> you to see if you, For real. If you get it wrong. Uh, but... The other thing is everybody kind of knows what they do, knows what they're supposed to do, and knows what they're, you know, when they're supposed to kneel and sit and stand. And if you don't know, watch people around you. Whereas in his Pentecostal megachurch context, the self-consciousness manifested in the idea that you had to not just have some kind of emotional experience. Mm -hmm. It had to be sort of visibly demonstrable in your countenance, in your body language, in all these other ways. That you were having this kind of experience. Yes. So um, that everybody can look at you and see, oh, this person is obviously worshiping. Yeah. Um, and and the, 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 the liturgy relieved him a little bit of that. I, uh, in college, would go to Mass on, on Sunday nights. And on Sunday mornings, I actually attended a Pentecostal church um, with my friends who were all part of um, part of this this church on campus and uh, I remember going up to have the pastor pray over me I don't even remember what for was, he, he always he did um, healing prayers during many of the services and I remember him like putting his hand on my head and like literally trying to push me <laughs> because he you know the the whole what is that being called slain in the, the spirit. spirit thing so i don't yeah. have much experience of that anna mitchell but i do have experience of being in a room where everybody's like closing their eyes and smiling and their hands in the air and i'm like That's i don't know like mean. i'm yeah i'm feeling some different emotions i brought some different stuff mm-hmm. but here's the thing about the mass you bring your whole self in you take your whole self out mm-hmm. and, and uh, not doing the hokey pokey exactly 21 past new supplies for back to school so what do the parents get well we suggest treating yourself to some good coffee and the mystic monks of wyoming have a number of blends to choose from and when you link to the mystic monk coffee site through our site sonrisemorningshow.com we earn a commission on whatever you buy you can also treat yourself to a sunrise morning show mug or travel mug and a water bottle for your kid 
our online store. Check out our store and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sunrisemorningshow.com. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. O come, creator spirit, come, and make within our souls thy home. Supply thy grace and heavenly aid to fill the hearts which thou hast made. O gift of God most high, thy name is Comforter, whom we acclaim. The fount of life, the fire of love, the soul's anointing from above. The sevenfold gift of grace is thine, thou finger of the hand divine. The Father's promise true to teach, thy light to every sense impart, pour forth thy love in every heart. Our weakened flesh do thou restore to strength and courage evermore. Drive far away our ghostly foe, thine own abiding peace bestow. If thou dost go before as guide, no evil can our steps betide. Through thee may we the Father learn, and know the Son, and thee discern, who art of both, and thus adore in perfect faith forevermore. Amen. For Sacred Heart Radio, I'm Dominican Father Henry Stephan. Twenty-three minutes past the hour, you're listening to the Sunrise Morning Show on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Very happy to have you along with us on this feast of King St. Louis the Ninth. Pray for us. Dr. Matthew Petrusic is joining us now. He's got a new book from Word on Fire called Evangelization and Ideology, How to Understand and Respond to the Political Culture. Dr. Petrusic, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning. It's good to have you. I would venture to say that many, if not most of us, have no problem responding to the political culture with a few choice words, if you know what I mean. But I also venture to say that we have not taken the time to understand the political culture. Why do those two things need to go together? Uh, well, I think one of the, the first response is is practical. Uh, things are so heated right now, and I, I don't need to tell you or your audience that, um, that it's, it's easy, as you suggest, just to respond with anger or with frustration or with exasperation. And so the, the first goal of the book is really to try and turn the temperature down a little bit so we can approach these questions and the questions beneath the questions uh, rationally. And really to communicate the richness and fullness and beauty and intellectual strength and stability of the Catholic intellectual tradition, which has been there for a very, very, very long time and is always relevant. So it's taking the wisdom of the past and really applying it to everything that's going on today. Well, we know that the Catholic Church exists to evangelize. How is the Catholic Church uniquely, uniquely qualified to evangelize in this present moment? Well, you know, as, uh, as Bishop Barron has, has, has often pointed out, we, we've done a, a poor job in the, in the last several decades of really communicating the, the intellectual depth of our faith. And it's, it's really important to keep in mind that the, the Catholic intellectual tradition, especially as it relates to, to the political questions, is based on, on natural law, based on universal reason. Uh, and so there's, 
there's tools that we have that can reach across party lines, that can certainly reach across uh, ideological lines, simply by appealing to big T capital T truth. Uh, And so it's really retrieving those resources based in the natural law uh, that can allow us to speak to many different audiences, especially the young at the same time. You've got a chapter in here entitled Stop Fighting and Start Arguing. What do you mean by that? <laughs> well, uh, fighting, as, uh, as you suggested at the, at the beginning, it really has to do with sort of a disposition to, to just try and win, to, to assert ourselves and to, to exert dominance over the people that we think that are, are wrong. And sometimes that's, that's necessary in order to defend ourselves, but it's not ideal. So arguing as opposed to fighting is really seeking to attain a kind of common position. And I don't mean in a, in a, in a bland sense of just toleration, but really in a, going back all the way to the kind of uh, uh, thought process we see in Socrates, trying to establish what the truth is by asking questions, refining the, uh, the answers, and getting deeper and deeper into what's actually the case. And so the book also tries to lay out a, a roadmap for, for how to do that, uh, which is something that we've certainly lost in, uh, in our contemporary politics. Well, we've certainly lost um, any kind of adherence to truth or, or even caring about the truth. So is there a way to get through to people in, in this culture of relativism? That's a, that's a great question. Uh, and so on the one hand, the book seeks to be very hopeful, to say, look, we, we as Catholics do have these resources. They're ancient resources, but they're ever new. And for those who are willing to engage in argument, not, not fight, but argument, there's a lot of progress that we can make, including with, uh, with young people who are not interested at all in the Church or think they're not interested, but who are interested in politics. So this is a way to reach them. But the book also seeks to be realistic, recognizing that, as, as you suggest, um, we're in a time where people will be openly hypocritical and put it in your face and just see what you want to do with it. And that we seriously see that in the trans ideology and gender ideology, where open falsehoods are stated and, and uh, you can see the contradiction, and they, they don't care that they're contradicting themselves. So the book also gives resources for how to live in a culture that doesn't care not only about truth, but about consistency and coherence. Uh, and so it gives some ideas on how to deal with, with that issue as well. What defines ideology? Ideology goes back to, um, it has a specific definition that actually has its roots in, in Marxism um, from, a, from a technical point of view. But the basic idea is that it's any system of thought that wants to give you a sort of a to- total way of being and of acting in the world that is severed from God, that is severed from ultimate, that is separate from the ultimate, that is severed from transcendence. And so in that, in that sense, there's lots of different kinds of political ideologies, and the book looks at four of them specifically. Uh, it looks at progressivism and wokeism as one ideology. It looks at utilitarianism. Uh, it looks at what's called classical liberalism, or sometimes um, also known as libertarianism. But it also looks at non-theistic conservatism. And I just mean conservatism, political conservatism that's been severed from a biblical conception of God. And one of the dangers I think we as Catholics have to recognize that as we do engage in the political realm, that we don't slip into being seduced into a political ideology instead of being faithful Catholics. Uh, it's a danger that I'm, I'm constantly aware of, um, especially as things do get heated in the political sphere. But we have to maintain our, our true identity, which is ultimately to Christ and His Church. Absolutely. And... Uh... I'm hoping, Dr. Petrusik, that you will be willing to come back and talk more about some of these ideas and and the tool belt that we have as Catholics. 
um, or the tools to put in the tool belt that we have as Catholics um, in in making this happen, particularly as the uh, the presidential race is already starting <laughs> to heat up here in the United yeah. States. I think these things are all the more important so that we can actually evangelize and bring people to Christ um, rather than just uh, making it worse. So the book Evangelization Amen. and Ideology linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Matthew Petrusik, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. And God bless you. You too. Thank you very much. Half past the hour now on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's time for news. Former President Donald Trump has surrendered to authorities in Georgia. He did so yesterday after being indicted for alleged efforts to overturn the 2020 presidential election there. The former president had his mugshot taken upon arrival at the Fulton County Jail and was released on a $200,000 bond. The Fulton County District Attorney is seeking to hold arraignments for all the defendants in this case the week following Labor Day, and cameras will be allowed in the courtroom. Nicaraguan dictator Daniel Ortega's crackdown on the Catholic Church continues as he has now declared the Jesuit religious order illegal. From Vatican Radio, James Bleers reports. The government say they've banned the Jesuits and taken their worldly possessions, claiming they somehow flouted tax laws. The Jesuits responded by saying, this violates human rights and it appears to be aimed at consolidating a totalitarian state. It comes a week after the administration of President Daniel Ortega expropriated the Jesuit-run Central American University and have renamed it Casimiro Sotelo Montenegro National University after a Sandinista leader killed in 1967, a fellow student and contemporary of Daniel Ortega. This action was justified by authorities who claim the university is a centre for terrorism. Then, a house by the university was seized and six Jesuits were thrown onto the street. The Central American Society of Jesus said, We strongly condemn this act of violence against our community and we reaffirm our confidence that the Lord of history will continue to protect the Jesuits of Nicaragua during these difficult times. In February, there was a release of prisoners, including seven would-be presidential candidates who were bundled onto a one-way flight out of Nicaragua and to the United States. In April, the Vatican Embassy was closed. A month later... The Red Cross was banned, accused of attacking peace and stability. Vatican Radio, James Blair is reporting. A federal court judge has dismissed a challenge to a West Virginia law restricting the abortion pill. Drug maker GenBioPro filed suit in January against West Virginia's restriction on the abortion drug Mifepristone. The, com- the company makes a generic version of the drug and argued that West Virginia's ban and other restrictions have caused it, quote, significant ongoing economic injury, end quote. U.S. District Judge Robert Chalmers dismissed GenBioPro's claims that federal law preempts the West Virginia law. The Maui government is suing a utility company for allegedly sparking the deadly Lahaina wildfire. A lawsuit filed yesterday claims Hawaiian Electric Company inexcusably kept their power lines energized earlier this month, despite wind and fire warnings from forecasters. The National Weather Service said strong winds could knock down power lines and spark fires that could spread quickly due to dry conditions. An attorney representing Maui County said the lawsuit seeks damages that could total tens or hundreds of millions of dollars. At least 115 people were killed in the fires. 
Nearly 700,000 homes and businesses in Michigan and Ohio are without power after severe thunderstorms slammed the region with heavy rains, powerful winds, and at least one tornado. The storms charged across southern Michigan into Ohio after midnight, packing wind gusts up to 85 miles an hour and hail as big as an inch and a half. The National Weather Service said a large and extremely dangerous tornado was confirmed last night near Williamston, Michigan, just east of Lansing. Mortgage rates are at a 22-year high. Mark Mayfield reports. Rates soared to 7.3% this week. A year ago, the 30-year fixed rate in the U.S. was just over 5.5%. That's according to data from Freddie Mac. They've been above 6.5 all summer and have been creeping up since mid-July. I'm Mark Mayfield. The world's biggest tech companies will have to follow a sweeping new European law that takes effect today. The European Union's Digital Services Act adds restrictions to everything from social media moderation to targeted advertising and counterfeit goods in e-commerce. It applies to companies including Amazon, Apple, Google, Google, Meta, Microsoft, Snapchat, TikTok, and many others. The law is aimed at concerns that tech critics have raised in recent years, including the spread of misinformation and disinformation, potential harm to mental health, and lack of transparency. That's the news. It's 35. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. Waking up with Mystic Monk Coffee is definitely a better way to start your day. Not only are you getting a great cup of coffee, but your purchase helps support the life of the Carmelite monks of Wyoming. And your purchase can also help our work. All you need to do is go first to sonricemorningshow.com. When you click the Mystic Monk link on the side of the page, we earn a commission. Support the monks and support the Sunrise Morning Show. Click the Mystic Monk link at sunrisemorningshow.com. That's sonrisemorningshow.com. The Baltimore Catechism asks, what is hell? Hell is a state to which the wicked are condemned, in which they are deprived of the sight of God for all eternity, and are in dreadful torments. Hell is the ultimate unhappiness. Imagine the worst day you could possibly have. Everything has made you impatient, and you become more and more angry with yourself, so angry that there's no possible love or joy in your heart. That is only a fraction of an image of hell. Because hell is the separation from all that is good, all that is joyful, all that is beautiful. Hell is separation from God. And so hell is never something that people can enjoy. It's always for them a torment. So let us ask our Lord to avoid hell so that we might receive the grace, perseverance, and good that we might go to heaven. And that means, right now, keeping the faith until death. Reflecting on the Baltimore Catechism, I'm Dominican Father Ezra Sullivan. Sunrise Morning Show continues. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Bobby Schindler from the Terry Schiavo Life and Hope Network. Bobby, good morning. Good morning, Matt. I had a couple things I wanted to ask you about the day, but one is an interesting case that's very much still developing, 
and we talk all the time about how the medically vulnerable issues you deal with have a lot of overlap with the abortion question due to basically the overarching understanding of a culture of life. Uh, but in this case, uh, you've got much more of a direct connection. I wonder if you could share that with us. Sure. Um, I, I met this family, uh, gosh, Matt, they were actually following and supporting my sister's case because they had a loved one who had a pretty severe brain injury. So I've known them for close to 20 years. And I actually met the young man who has the brain injury, the wonderful, wonderful young man making a lot of progress. But uh, the sister, who was his caretaker, and along with, along with his mom, had initially had a fight for guardianship because his, his demands adult children, um, because of his brain injury, were trying to end his treatment. They believed that their father did not want to live with such a poor quality of life and were were um, contesting or challenging the sister for wanting to take care of him. Now, they had nothing in writing. There was no type of directive. So they were just putting out there that they didn't, they didn't think their dad would want to live in this type of condition with this type of brain injury. So the, the, the sister won guardianship and caring for him uh, and, and loved him unconditionally. She's just a wonderful family. So fast forward. Uh, the sister is a very uh, staunch pro-lifer. Uh, she was praying in front of a, a abortion clinic recently and was arrested. She actually was put in jail for some time. Well, the kids now are challenging the guardianship again, saying, of all things, that their sister is unfit to care for the, their dad because she was arrested in front of, because she was praying in front of an abortion clinic. So. Uh, she reached out to us again to help with an attorney and any other support we can offer. And there is a hearing on August 29th. They, the attorney does feel confident this will go nowhere because of the care that she's been providing her brother for so long. But nonetheless, she's worried because you never know today, Matt, with these courts and these judges. What if this judge has the mindset uh, that these kids have uh, that who would want to live in this condition and use the arrest as, as a justification for removing her as his guardian and hands it back over to the kids, and if then they would subsequently move to remove or, or uh, end his care. So it is frightening. Uh, please keep her in your prayers, and, and perhaps we can update, update you on, on the results of, of the hearing, uh, which will be uh, next week. Well, hopefully a positive update, but you can see how that could go poorly, right? Uh, well, this person has a criminal record, <laughs> right? Uh, right. So, I mean, this is, I mean, of course, the criminal activity in which this person was involved was uh, literally trying to stand up and help people who are vulnerable. <laughs> so maybe uh, the judge will be like, well, maybe that's actually a mark in your favor, and you should be allowed to help this person in your own life uh, who is vulnerable. But again, I don't trust the courts, man. <laughs> I don't, I, I've seen too many wild things for sure. Uh, but you you touched on this, and you mentioned it a couple of different times today, and we feel like it comes up all the time, uh, the question of quality of life. And uh, I know you shared a piece with me um, about this question, this concept of, of quality of life and what we mean by it and how uh, so many of us kind of want to project our understanding of a quality of life onto other people. Right. Well, well, Matt, I, I heard it over and over again. I, I continue to hear it today. If you read the comments on our Facebook page, uh, the, the, it, it basically comes down to who would want to live in this condition. Well, nobody would choose to live with a disability 
until you're living with a disability, Matt. I mean, how, how do you make, uh, how, how do you, living as an able-bodied person, how could you ever make a comment that you would not want to live in a certain condition if you're not living in that condition? You have no way of knowing. But yet I think it's what's driving and what's so frightening about this issue because uh, many of the decisions that are being made in healthcare today and even, who knows, by courts, by people that have this mindset are being made to whatever it might be to uh, interfere or to even terminate the care or treatment of a person with a brain injury or some other type of medical uh, issue uh, because they think they would not want to live this way. You know, it's interesting, Matt. We, we post we post dozens and dozens of stories of individuals that have experienced mostly brain injuries, but there's other types of medical situations that recovered at the five the odds. And, I have, and I'm sure that they're out there. I'm not saying they're not. But from all the articles that we have published, there is not, I have not found one story from a person who's defied odds, who is in these horrible conditions at first because of whatever it is that, that, that caused them to have these types of brain injuries, that have come back and have ever said, oh, I, I wish you would have ended my life. No, it's actually just the opposite. They feel blessed that they had family members that did not give up on them and are doing everything now and, and loving them unconditionally to improve their lives and to do everything they can to, to rehabilitate, uh, to, to, to be able to, to make the progress they need to, to you know, live on their own again if possible. So this whole this whole... Who would want to live this way? I, it drives me nuts when I hear it. And it's, it's what motivated uh, Michael Schiavo, uh to convince the court. It was one of the reasons to, to end my sister's life because he would he would constantly be saying that Terry's quality of life was so poor, uh, were, were making her suffer needlessly. And the best thing in her best interest would be to end her life. Yeah, and I just want to make sure that we don't make the mistake of saying, uh, or or that people don't think. In hearing us talk about this, that our argument uh, is, well, we should be looking out for these people because you never know they might recover. We should be looking out for these people whether or not they recover. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing, uh, because the dignity of the human being does not come from their ability or disability. It's not assigned by the state. It comes from God. It comes from their virtue of being born as a human being and you know gosh we pray for recovery it does happen occasionally a lot of times it does not happen uh you've seen a whole bunch of cases where you know it's not panned out and family just stuck with a family member until uh you know the best natural possible outcome but we defend these people not because we think that they're going to be up and you know walking around this time next week but because they are human beings Right, it's it's respecting their human dignity, their sanctity of life, their 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 you know the the image that that we believe were made in, in the image of of, of God. Uh, but but I think really, Matt, it, it's what I talk about and have written about before. I think there exists a, a real deep rooted prejudice against people with disabilities, and and oftentimes there, there's really no pushback. I mean, look at the Family Guy, look at the skit they made about my sister. And, and the offensiveness and the vulgar nature that was directed towards my sister who had a disability. I mean, they, they were explicit in making fun of her brain injuries and calling her a vegetable and saying she had mashed potato brains, and, and people were sitting back laughing at this. And, and nobody's saying, well, hey, step back here for a second. What is actually happening? 
we're making fun of a person with a disability, and it just speaks to this whole, uh, this again, this terrible attitude we have, and and towards people with disabilities is that justifies terminating and 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 stopping their care. And, and I see it all the time. I see it in the comments, and it's just it's it's unfair to these people that experience these, these injuries that we don't do everything in our power. And it goes back to what you say, respecting their human dignity and do everything we can to love them unconditionally and provide them the care that they need and the hope to, to improve their, their injuries and their lives. Well, thank you for being just vigilant and staying on top of this and keeping this conversation going. Um, there's always something to discuss in regard to it, and not everybody is out there discussing it. <laughs> but uh, the courts are doing it. Uh, individual hospitals are doing it. Individual families are dealing with it. It is not going away, even if it's not in the headlines. So thanks so much, Bobby Schindler. We've got lifeandhope.com linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. We'll talk to you again soon. Thank you, Matt. God bless you. All right. Coming up next, we look ahead to the Sunday Mass readings with Father Jonathan Duncan. It's 14 till. The first annual Dominican Rosary Pilgrimage, sponsored by the Dominican Friars Foundation, will take place on Saturday, September 30th at the Basilica of the Immaculate Conception in Washington, D.C. This all-day event will feature conferences by Father Gregory Pine, resuscitation of the rosary, a fervorino by Father Lawrence Liu, and mass with Father James Brent as homilist. Join us for this day of prayer to Our Lady. For more information, visit rosarypilgrimage.org. That's rosarypilgrimage.org. Are you looking for peace, longing for joy? Want to meet the giver of all goodness? God is calling the laity to bring Ignatian prayer into a suffering world. Work for the new evangelization. Go to lordteachmetopray.com. Order your free digital training and manual. Find true happiness and everlasting joy. Go to lordteachmetopray.com. And click on the red button today. It's free. Approved by the USCCB. Waking up with Mystic Monk Coffee is definitely a better way to start your day. Not only are you getting a great cup of coffee, but your purchase helps support the life of the Carmelite Monks of Wyoming. And your purchase can also help our work. All you need to do is go first to sonricemorningshow.com. When you click the Mystic Monk link on the side of the page, we earn a commission. Support the monks and support the Sunrise Morning Show. Click the Mystic Monk link at sunrisemorningshow.com. That's sonricemorningshow.com. EWTN, communicating the faith. I feel that God has been really doing a work in me in the last five, ten years. I'm a convert to Catholicism, and I started to just really feel a passion to know more about the Catholic faith, and I started listening to Catholic radio all day. I'm not doing great things, but I'm doing small things with great love. EWTN, live truth, live Catholic. If you could invite one saint to join you for dinner, who would it be? You can tell us your story today on Take Two with Jerry and Debbie on most of these EWTN stations. And now back to the Sunrise Morning Show. The Sunrise Morning Show continues. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Father Jonathan Duncan, a priest of the Archdiocese. Uh, Archdiocese. I just elevated your... Just elevated your C. It's the priest for the Diocese of Charleston. He's director of spiritual health at Bon Secours St. Francis Hospital, involved with school and college campus ministry as well. Father Duncan, good morning. It's great to be with you, Matt. So we look ahead uh, to the 21st Sunday in Ordinary Time, and 
there are a bunch of different things that one could talk about from an apologetic standpoint, uh, the idea of the keys to the kingdom. Uh, and of course you've, you, you and I both come from situations where we understood this conversation between Jesus and Peter very differently. Uh, but, uh, there's also some great stuff in the second reading from Romans 11, uh, about the mystery of God. But, uh, what are you planning to focus on? You know, I was thinking about this, and I think the um, the passage from the gospel and the confession of Peter, the, the the giving of the keys, I think that is so significant, and and maybe not for the reason that, that we typically think about. Uh, though I certainly will talk about the vocation of Peter uh, as Kepha uh, in Aramaic as rock, uh, and how that's the the ground of the papacy, but. You know, I think really starting from the place that this is the most important question, which is, who is Jesus? You know, a lot of people when they, you know, will, will come and talk to me or they find out I'm a Catholic priest, and the first thing they say is, you know, I, I, can't, uh, I, I can't believe any of that stuff you guys believe um, um, because of, and they'll name other issues. You know, they'll, they'll talk about the Church's teaching around sexuality, contraception, it's usually sexuality-related things, um, or uh, the Church is teaching about Mary, or just a whole host of things. And I typically like to just kind of stop them and say, whoa, 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 that stuff's important. But before we get to any of that, we have to begin with one question. And, and, and Christianity begins and ends with one question, who is Jesus of Nazareth? And unless we start and agree on that question, we're never going to agree on all the secondary and tertiary and, and other questions that flow from that. So I think we have to begin with this, who is this Jesus? And that's what I want to invite people before they start weighing into the Church's teaching on different things. I say, no, 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 no. Before we can talk about evolution or science or all of these other things, first, who is Jesus? And that is the question, because when we understand Jesus as the Son of God and Son of Mary, and then when we begin to understand from there, so that's kind of the first response, is that I, you know, I have to have a response to Jesus and the person of Jesus. But then we look in our Gospel reading and we see that this Lord Jesus has given us a gift, and the gift is a church. So he says to Peter, you know, you are, you are the rock, and on this rock I will build my church. So the question is, where can I find? So once you confess that, that Jesus is the Son of God and Son of Mary, then you have to go from there and say, okay, how do I find him now? I, I can't, how, how do I find him now? And of course, the answer to that is I find him in the communion of his friends, in this um, hell-conquering church that he's promised to the world. And so you go from there right into the Church, and it's from there that we find within the Church he's also given a gift of a rock, of Peter, of the role of the papacy, as someone to be a central witness to that basic proclamation of the Gospel, that Jesus is Son of God and Son of Mary, that Jesus is Lord, is Savior, is risen from the dead. And at the center of the Church there is uh, the one, there is the role of Peter, the rock, Kepha, does it mean in the Church's history that both the Church as a whole and also that, that Kepha, you know, if you follow a few verses in the Gospel, you'll see 
that Peter, in just a few verses, gets called not a rock by the Lord, but a stumbling stone, a scandalon in Greek, which means a scandal, something you trip over. And so sometimes our, our popes in our history have been solid kephas, and sometimes they have been stumbling blocks. And you can look look up the histories of Pope Urban VI and Pope Alexander VI and, and, and others who have been just a, a scandal to the Church. But still he's promised that this communion of his friends is, is conquering hell and will conquer hell and will not be able to be overcome by the powers of darkness. But at the center of our life is this confession of Jesus is Lord. Yeah. Well, in my limited yeah. knowledge of church history, I've not found either the stumbling block or the solid rock. I've usually found both in just about every guy on a typical Tuesday, <laughs> right? I mean, this is kind of the Christian, the Christian That's reality, you know, is, is, is we are all trying to figure out how to be rocks and ending up being stumbling stones. Um, and, and we see it all in a nutshell, but you know, it's, I was thinking about this question, you know, who is Jesus and why does that question matter so much? It might have been Knox. I can't, I can't even, I never remember who it was that actually said this, but, uh, you know, asked about all those crazy things that you just mentioned and, uh, you know, saying, if you can believe that God became man, this other stuff is all pretty, pretty small <laughs> by comparison. Uh, I, I, I was, there was this meme rolling around this week. Um, there was a quote from a, a, I think it was a Disciples of Christ pastor and, uh, he was saying Jesus was crucified for standing up to the empire, not to atone for the sins of humanity. As a way of repositioning Jesus as a, you know, Jesus's real gift to the world is that he stood up to authority structures or whatever. Well, he did some of those things, but the bigger gift uh, is his atoning for the sins of humanity. I mean, people have all kinds of things they want to say Jesus is, all kinds of problems they want Jesus to solve for them, all kinds of ways that they want to position Jesus inside of their narrative to kind of argue for the thing they want to argue for. But if you don't get this piece, if you don't say you what Peter says, he, you've missed you've missed it all. Because ultimately the empire he stood up to was the empire that was behind every corrupt empire, which is the empire of sin and death. And the only way that empire could be brought down was through a sacrificial, faithful death through his sacrifice, through God's own self-gift. That's the thing. And here's, here's the deal. If Jesus is not who he says he is, if he's not that atoning sacrifice, the Son of God and Son of Mary, then what does it matter what you do about contraception and who you sleep with? If, if he's not Lord, none of those things matter. But if he is, then everything we do matters. Yeah. If he's everything not Lord, do, do whatever you want on the Internet, right? Treat Absolutely. the people in traffic however you want to treat them, right? Uh, you know, rob, steal, cheat, <laughs> you know, alienate your family, you know, drink as much as you want if this stuff isn't real. But if it is real, everything uh, you do matters. Yeah, everything matters. So, good stuff, Father Jonathan Duncan. Have a great day. That wraps it up for the Sunrise Morning Show on this Friday, the 25th of August. Many of you got great content coming up on your local Catholic radio stations, courtesy of either your local Catholic radio stations or EWTN. But we'll talk to you on the Sunrise Morning Show on Monday. I'm Matt Swain. May God bless you and keep you and grant you his peace. Now.